With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the show, everybody. Sorry for the slight lateness. The, the show was scheduled for the wrong time, um, but rushed at the last minute to try to pump it out, and it looks like I did, in fact, get it out. Um, five minutes late, but we're in the ballpark. Anyway, a lot of stuff to get to today. Full show. Um let me tell you what is upcoming. We have, I'm going to lead with a story on the U.S. healthcare system because it, uh, this story is heartbreaking but also very informative. This reminds me of a video that came out a few years ago where somebody talked to, I think it was people in the U.K. They spoke to people in the U.K. on the street about the U.S. healthcare system and told them what things cost. And they were like, wait, seriously? And they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that uh, we had a healthcare system that is just so thoroughly um, baked in greed. So uh, we have a new video on that front, this time actually done by the New York Times, which is a little surprising that you have good work being done by the New York Times. 
Um, we're going to talk about that. Uh, Trump's support has imploded in a new poll. I touched on this a little bit in Crystal Kyle and Friends, but I want to talk about it a little more now. Um, we also have the CIA using wokeness and identity politics um, in attempts to recruit. It's, uh, if that one doesn't make you angry, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what planet you're living on because it's the bastardization of issues that are otherwise important issues. We have uh, Hillary Clinton somehow back in the news. She went after Biden, find out over which issue. And later on in the show, we will be discussing um, Big Pharma's genocidal attempt to hide their patents and... um, the media is now starting to do all the things that we warned against, namely the uh, propaganda to stay in Afghanistan. So, all right, busy show. Let's go ahead and get started. The New York Times actually did some pretty good reporting here. They spoke to a bunch of non-Americans about the American healthcare system, and um, their reactions are priceless. This video is a little long, but I want to show you, uh, this is almost all of it. I think the full clip is six minutes. I'm showing you about five minutes of the six minutes, but uh, it's well worth it. Take a look. Healthcare is a constitutional right, and that's a form of communism because no country could afford those payments without seizing the assets of everybody else. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's <laughs> Level plans, it's a lot to think about. premiums, copays, deductibles, all that stuff. And it will get max. I guess with what I got here, I would go with plan D because the deductible is zero. Okay, there's, there's more. Gold, HMO, uh, PPO, PPO, HMO. And what are copays? I, I don't get That's like if you pay for Spotify premium and Spotify still makes you pay every time you listen to a song. It's too complicated. I've lost. I'm so lost. I don't have to really think about the you know, different plans that I can pick from. You just pay one month um, per month, and all the major treatments are covered. At least 70% of our medical expenses are always covered. Uninsured, unable to afford treatment for a tooth infection. Oh. Cook Emma Rittner lost her job in March. I did manage to get antibiotics from a friend whose mom regularly goes down to Mexico. And I've been taking that um, self-medicating uh, based off of Dr. Google's advice. Dr. Google's advice. Here in Japan, even if you lose a job, you would never lose your health insurance. When you lose your job, 
that's when society should help you. My chosen a creative job and has the backing of a healthcare system, but if you don't have that, do you pick the safe job or do you pick the creative job? The average price per unit for insulin in 2018, Germany, $11. Canada's $12. Wow. It's like eight times the price of uh, insulin in Canada. I guess that explains why Americans come up to Canada to buy medication. <laughs> the, uh, sorry, I'm sorry, hold on. So the FDA doesn't have any authority over the prices? They have also privatized health insurance companies in Germany, but the prices uh, are regulated by the government. The government negotiates the prices and it fixes that price for two years. And they will regulate the stuff to keep the prices down and, you know, avoid like this happening. Right, so I'm looking at an American medical bill. $610,000 bill. $428,000 for rooms. I said, empty spaces. What? What type of hotel is this one? Skin to skin after C-section is $39. I had to pay $39.35 to hold my baby after he was born. You need to pay money to hold a baby? 66% of bankruptcies are tied to medical issues in the U.S. He was no longer allowed on his mother's insurance plan. Instead, he decided to pay for his insulin over the counter at list price. But the pharmacist told him a month's supply would be $1,300. He left empty-handed. Alex's official cause of death was diabetic heteroacidosis. A couple of years ago, I developed a heart condition, and I had to have my heart restarted three times. Uh, after the third time I had it restarted, the doctor suggested I get heart surgery. When I was 13, I started to get sick and really, really sick. I was then very quickly admitted into hospital where after three weeks I had treatment for a brain virus. The cost of the operation I think is about $60,000. Uh, and then uh, the next day when I left the hospital and I got my bill, it was a bill for parking. It was about 30 bucks. I was treated by rural doctors, had several MRIs, number punctures, all for free. So I, I was pretty happy that I, uh, I live in Canada and had universal health care. I couldn't have survived if I was in America. To know that I can get sick, I can get injured, but I will still be taken care of. That is freedom. This is not freedom. There you have it. That last point I actually think is, is pretty poignant. Um, there is an argument about what constitutes freedom and what doesn't. And, you know, the right argues the left is against freedom and you can't have these things provided by the state. It, you know, they make ridiculous arguments about how you're forcing doctors to do certain things and that means doctors are slaves under a universal health care system. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But this last point that this guy makes, you know, I totally agree with him. I think that there's an argument you can't be free unless you have your basic needs met. So society has the ability to provide the bare minimums, to provide a reasonable floor. And that's not a lot to ask for. You know, if, if you say in a developed country, you should have food, you should have a roof over your head, 
You should have health care, education. All of those things just make it so that you have a shot to make it. All of those things provide a floor which gives you the opportunity to then partake in a nominal meritocracy. And uh, if you don't have those things, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. And there is no um, equal opportunity. It's just absolute chaos and mayhem. And some people being born on third and thinking they hit a triple, and some people are born not even on the field. They're born not even in the stadium. And so, yes, I would argue that when you have something like universal health care that actually increases freedom, doesn't decrease it. Um, and you, you saw all these people were reacting in horror to the U.S. healthcare system. I think videos like this are so important because people don't know, especially the younger people are. Um, I mean, older people definitely don't know this either, so scratch that, the last thing I just said, but I remember the first time I learned about the way the healthcare systems around the world work and how we're the only developed country that doesn't have one version or another of a universal healthcare system. And I was shocked. I was stunned. And this is really educational and informational. I think it's really, really important for people to see this. There are so many ways in which Americans are screwed that their counterparts in the rest of the developed world are not. You know, um, another one is vacation time that comes to mind. In basically every developed country on Earth, in fact, I think it's all developed countries on Earth except the United States, they have paid vacation time by law. So, you know, you take a job and on day one, as part of whatever your contract is, the government guarantees five weeks paid vacation by law. That, you know, that's one example. Some places it's more, some places it's less. Here in the U.S., we have zero paid vacation days by law. If you happen to get any paid vacation time, it's just because your employer offers it. But, of course, many employers do not offer that in the United States of America. Um, paid maternity leave is another thing. Every other developed country has it. We don't have it. Universal health care, what we're talking about now. There are just so many ways in which regular people get hosed in this country. And remember, you pay taxes. You pay taxes. So shouldn't your money go towards things that you would like it to go towards? Instead of your tax dollars going to bail out Wall Street, instead of your tax dollars going to endless war, wouldn't you like it if your tax dollars went towards pay vacation time or, or health care? And, you know, we pay more than the rest of the developed world and get worse outcomes. There's another part of this that you didn't see where they talk about the average lifespan in all these various countries, and we're on the lower end of the developed countries. Pay all this extra money to get worse health care, have fewer people covered, and you die earlier anyway. I mean, the system's a joke. I've brought it up before, but there's this Commonwealth Fund study that came out a few years ago. I think they do the study every couple of years. The United States healthcare system ranked 11th out of 11 that they studied. 11th out of 11. Um, then there's the other one, the World Health Organization study, for example. Uh, world Health Organization study, this one's old, is from 2000. They, that had us ranked number 37 in the world when it comes to healthcare. So no matter how you slice it or dice it, no matter how you empirically measure it, we're abysmal on this front. And I've, I've called the U.S. Healthcare, healthcare system a scam within a scam on top of a scam. 
Everybody's scamming everybody. Big Pharma is scamming people. The health insurance companies are scamming people. The health care companies are scamming people. The hospitals are scamming people. Everybody's scamming people. We've covered stories on this show about um, somebody going to the hospital, getting a bill afterwards, and um, the bill charged them a couple hundred bucks for something called a cough suppressant aid. They inquired about that. Turns out they were charged a couple hundred bucks because they used a tissue cough suppressant aid, and they were price gouged and billed hundreds of dollars. This is our system. That one little story explains our system perfectly. It shows you that uh, there's a bunch of greedy sharks profiting off of people's pain and misery. And you saw the stat that was on the screen there, 66%, 66% of bankruptcies are medical-related in this country when medical bankruptcies are just not a thing in other developed countries. It's not a concept that exists because you get sick, you get help, and it's paid for with tax dollars. So it's crazy that we're still debating this. And then, of course, the saddest part of all is that we have a Democratic president who said, I'd veto Medicare for all if it got to my desk. He implied that. Um, And we have a left flank of the Democratic Party that we're putting there to fight for things like single-payer Medicare for all, and uh, they're not. They're not doing it. So even the left flank of the left party in this country has abandoned the real fight. And that should, uh, that should massively depress you. That should massively depress you. Because you look at the reaction of people around the world to our system, and you realize we're a laugh- laughingstock, we're a joke, and... Um, if you're not doing everything you possibly can to get us to the place where we have a single-payer Medicare for All system, it's hard to conclude anything other than you're part of the problem. I am going to talk about President Trump, who's back in the news. trying to figure out I don't want to change my lights behind me anymore I'm trying to figure out a new way a new way to uh... alright never mind here we go let's go Donald Trump back in the news there's a new poll that just came out I want to share the results with you because uh This is, at this point, maybe a little bit surprising, um, but it also might spell a more positive future for everybody. So NBC News says, out of office, off of Twitter, still complaining about the election results. The last 100 days or so haven't been kind to Donald Trump. Our new national NBC News poll finds his ratings among all adults stand at 32% favorable, 55% unfavorable which is down from his ratings in January, 40%, that was even after the attempted insurrection, and 53% unfavorable among registered voters, as well as where he was in the poll right before the election, 43% favorable, 52% unfavorable among registered voters. By comparison, 
President Biden's current favorable unfavorable stands at 50% positive, 36% negative. Even Trump's poll within his own party appears to have a lesson, with 44% of Republicans saying they're more supporters of Trump than the GOP versus 50% who say they're more supporters of the GOP than the former president. So, talked about this a little bit on Crystal Kyle and Friends the other day, but that's the first time since his election, since, excuse me, since I think 2016 when he got elected, that now that number is reversed. It was for a very long time, if you talk to Republican voters and say, who do you trust more, Trump or the Republican Party? They would say Trump. It is the first time it's the opposite. And now Republican voters are saying, I'm more of a Republican than a Trumper. So, I mean, the question needs to be asked, because this is the first time we're seeing numbers like this. Has the fever finally broken? Has the fever finally broken? And, um, you know, his approval rating being all the way down at 32%, that's low, man. That's very, very low. I think that's in the ballpark of his lowest ever. I remember George W. Bush's lowest was in the 20s. I think it was 22%. I'm not sure. Maybe Trump dipped barely into the 29%, 28% area once or twice. But this is near his lowest ever. And um, here's the problem he's now facing. He's a bullshitter. He's a master bullshitter. He's arguably the best bullshitter that ever lived. And um, the problem for him is, if you're a bullshitter, you need to always be in front of your audience to keep bullshitting them to keep weaving your narrative and your story. And now, he's not in front of people anymore. He's not on Twitter. They deplatformed him effectively. Um, And now he's just doing these press releases that almost nobody reads. I mean, some news outlets will cover some of them. But uh, nobody's really paying attention to that nearly as much as they were paying attention to his Twitter feed. And so the bullshitter is being kept away from his audience and his marks. And when that happens over time, the stranglehold fades. You know, the magic wears off. And that's sort of where we are. So listen, there's a little bit of an uncomfortable conclusion uh, from this, and that is deplatforming effectively works. Now, the reason I do that is because I don't think the real question should be, does it work, does it not work? Because I think people should take a principled stand on the side of free speech as much as possible. Um, but in terms of the effect that it had, if the idea was, hey, this will make him a lot less relevant, mission accomplished. It made him a lot less relevant. And now he's underwater. I don't, it's hard for me to imagine how he bounces back from this. How do you bounce back if you're not on social media and constantly in people's faces and, and, you know, able to tell your story and weave your narrative and leave the impression that you want to leave? I don't know how he bounces back from this. How could he, even in theory, how could he bounce back from this? I don't know. Um, Because he's kind of hidden away off in a corner now and more and more irrelevant by the day. So it'll be interesting to see if he runs for president again. I really do think that he's the favorite on the Republican side by far, because, again, the numbers show that as well. But, like, isn't he at a massive disadvantage and aren't his hands tied behind his back if he's not on social media if he runs again and he's up against a bunch of people who are on social media? I don't know. Well, it might also be the case that 
if he jumps back in, then the media will do what the media does, which is kind of relentlessly cover him and hyperventilate nonstop, in which case that will probably have the backlash effect like it did last time and end up helping him even though they're trying to hurt him. That might be the thing that keeps him in the game, but that would be the supreme irony, wouldn't it? That, like, the media who hate him a lot actually were the ones who inadvertently helped him and made him become president because they gave him so much free advertising and the attacks that they did against him just weren't good enough to really make people turn on him. So it's funny. The thing that really led more so to people turning on him is his complete absence, which goes to show you the strategy of the media to completely ignore you versus cover you negatively. Usually ignoring you works better than covering you negatively. I mean, you can see this actually with the, the Andrew Yang race for New York City mayor. The media has been viciously, relentlessly smearing him. I'm not saying there aren't legitimate crit- uh, critiques of Andrew Yang. I have many myself. But what I'm, I am saying is the critiques the media has of him are not substantive, and they're really stupid critiques. And it, so it hasn't hurt him. He hasn't gone down in the polls. If anything, he's gone the other direction. He's gone up in the polls. So, but when Andrew was running for president and he was largely ignored by the media, that did hurt him. So you see the strategy of ignoring by the media leads people to turn on you more and forget about you more than if they go negative on you, because usually the way they go negative is very unpalatable and stupid, and so people don't buy their bullshit. So I think that's a lot of what we're seeing here with Trump. All the negative coverage in the world he was getting, and he was at, you know, 42%, 48%, whatever it may be, he would oscillate, but he'd be around there with all the negative coverage in the world, and here you have basically next to no coverage, and all of a sudden his approval plummets to 32%. So... Has Donald Trump's magic finally worn off? Is the spell broken? Is the stranglehold over with? It looks like it might be, but, you know, never say never, because who knows, this could all change. Okay, next. Here we go. The CIA is now getting in on the fun of modern, hip, cool lingo. And um, they're going to try to recruit using wokeness and identity politics and like young person jargon. Watch this. I quoted Zora Neale Hurston's How It Feels to Be Colored Me in my college application essay. The line that spoke to me stated simply, I am not tragically colored. There is no sorrow dammed up in my soul nor lurking behind my eyes. I do not mind at all. At 17, I had no idea what life would bring, but Zora's sentiment articulated so beautifully how I felt as a daughter of immigrants then and now. Nothing about me was or is tragic. I am perfectly made. I can wax eloquent on complex legal issues in English while also belting Guayaquil de mis amores in Spanish. I can change a diaper with one hand and console a crying toddler with the other. I am a woman of color. I am a mom. I am a cisgender millennial who's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I am intersectional, but my existence is not a box-checking exercise. I am a walking declaration. 
a woman whose inflection does not ride at the end of her sentences, suggesting that a question has been asked. I did not sneak into CIA. My employment was not and is not the result of a fluke or slip through the cracks. I earned my way in, and I earned my way up the ranks of this organization. I am educated, qualified, and competent, and sometimes I struggle. I struggle feeling like I could do more, be more to my two sons, and I struggle leaving the office when I feel there's so much more to do. I used to struggle with imposter syndrome, but at 36, I refuse to internalize misguided patriarchal ideas of what a woman can or should be. I am tired of feeling like I'm supposed to apologize for the space I occupy rather than intoxicate people with my effort, my brilliance. I am proud of me, full stop. My parents left everything they knew and loved to expose me to opportunities they never had. Because of them, I stand here today a proud first-generation Latina and officer at CIA. I am unapologetically me. I want you to be unapologetically you, whoever you are. Know your worth. Command your space. We knew this was coming. I told you this was coming. What do I tell you guys all the time? The establishment will always cave on the symbolism first because nothing hinges on the symbolism, you know? It's like that meme that went viral of you see a, a, a plane dropping bombs and then you see the plane right next to it, another one dropping bombs, and that one has a Black Lives Matter sticker on it and the LGBTQ flag on it. And as long as, as long as those bombs are being dropped from that plane, they'll write on that plane whatever the hell you want them to write on that plane. They'll write Che Guevara fan club if you want. As long as the rich keep getting richer and the endless wars continue and we keep taking away people's civil liberties and locking them up at Guantanamo Bay with no due process, as long as that stuff continues, they'll say whatever you want. They'll be as goofy and Gen Z-like or millennial-like as you want. They'll use all the lingo in the world that you want them to use. Let's go through some of this. I mean, this is amazing. So first there's the, you know, I'm the daughter of immigrants thing. So in other words, the idea is, us, the CIA, we love immigrants. We love brown people. We love black people. We love diversity. We're so woke. You have no idea. Uh, They do the whole, like, you know, she puffs up her own ego. By the way, nobody likes anybody who does that. You know what I mean? Like when people say, I'm brilliant, I'm proud of me, anybody with a functioning brain is going to go, well, you're fucking weird and you need to stay away from me. Like who likes somebody who sucks themselves off 24-7? Nobody likes that. That's just an ugly character trait. But there's a lot of like, I'm perfectly made, I'm brilliant, I'm proud of me. It's like, you know what it is? It's, it's like the, partic- it's the participation trophy culture shit, you know? Like, you're a precious little snowflake, and you're perfect just as you are. You don't need to change anything, and we love you like this. It's participation trophy culture. That's what this is. And, again, it's a pathetic attempt to pander to the younger generation to get them in at the CIA. Then you have, the, again, to highlight, we love people of color. Not only is she a daughter of immigrants, she's bilingual. I'm a strong woman of color, a mom, a cisgender millennial. Cisgender millennial. Then, this is, the, this is one of the best parts. 
I have generalized anxiety disorder. Again, the, the idea of pandering to the younger generation, that because, you know, the younger generation is much more open with mental health struggles, and a, a lot of times people use it, it becomes part of their identity, and they find a community in that identity. And so that's what they're doing here. Oh, we accept you. We love you as you are. By the way, it's hilarious that you say, you know, I'm perfect as I am, but then you say I have generalized anxiety disorder. Wouldn't you feel more perfect and wouldn't you be happier if you didn't have generalized anxiety disorder? It's just, okay, again, it's just trying to tap into a younger culture that they're unfamiliar with, but that they're exploiting for their own gain. They want this younger generation, this new generation, to think the CIA is awesome and to be down with the CIA and to get a job at the CIA and so we can continue American imperialism and covert operations the world over forever. Um, So she says she has generalized anxiety disorder. She says, of course she was going to use this word, I am intersectional. Another great part, I'm not just a box ticker for my identity. Literally, that's exactly what you're doing in this entire video. The whole thing is like, let me tell you about the gloriousness of me. Let me tell you about me, because I'm so precious and special, me. That's what this is. And then after you list off all the things about you that you think are so wonderful, you go, I'm not just box ticking for my identity. That's literally exactly what you're doing. That's all that you're doing. Intersectional. By the way, nobody, no actual person in the real world uses that term unironically. It just doesn't happen. Sure, in, you know, elitist, liberal academic circles, they might talk about this shit, but those, that's not a normal, common person. It's not. It's not. There is nobody who's working a nine-to-five and trying to pay the fucking bills who's also, you know, thinking about intersectionality and being cisgender. That doesn't happen. On top of bringing up intersectionality, she brings up the patriarchy. Oh. Oh. So now do you see what's going on here? And by the way, this is not going to stop. So this is the CIA's doing it, the FBI's going to do it, the Democratic Party has been doing it for the longest time. I'm not for Medicare for all. I'm not for free college. I'm not for a living wage. I'm not for ending the wars. I'm not for ending the drug war and freeing the nonviolent drug offenders. I'm not for any of the actual policies that are important and would fix the country and make everything better. But I will say the word intersectional. And I will give you my pronouns in my bio. And uh, I will create an identity around my generalized anxiety disorder and make you feel like I'm relatable. I will, you know, say I'm on the LGBTQ spectrum or I'm cisgender or, you know, I, I believe in diversity and I have people of color in my family or I'm a person of color. They will give you everything when it comes to labels, social issues, symbolism, because that's, you know, you know what this is? They feel like if we say these things and we speak the cultural jargon, they're going to assume, oh, their values are like my values. Even though, again, on actual substance, I mean, the CIA is full of criminals. The whole idea is to be a criminal organization. 
overthrow democratically elected governments, for example. This is stuff that still goes on. Undermine democratically elected governments that we don't like. Be like the paramilitary wing of the American corporatocracy. Like, this is what it is. And, of course, the point of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, to varying degrees, is fully represent corporate America and billionaires and special interests, and that's who you legislate for. So how do you sell to young people, hey, you should like me, and I like you, and I'm part of the same culture? You tap in to the stuff that's meaningless. That means nothing. That doesn't challenge power by any stretch of the imagination. In no way, shape, or form does this challenge power. So you fully grasp that, fully buy into that, and then you continue the status quo in business as usual. That's what it is. That's the trick. In the same way that what do they do on the right? For the longest time, what they did on the right was, I'm a Christian. I'm evangelical. I'm fundamentalist. I'm against gay marriage. I'm against abortion. I'm pro-gun. I'm going to be for everything you want me to be for when it comes to social issues and when it comes to cultural stuff. But don't you dare tell me, cross my donors. Don't you dare tell me to raise taxes on the wealthy. Don't you dare tell me to raise taxes on corporations. Don't you dare tell me to look out for working people. Hey, I'm already caving 100% on the symbolism. I'm already caving 100% on the social issues, on the cultural stuff. I'm giving you the veneer of cultural agreement so I can continue the status quo and business as usual and continue fucking you over. That's the, right, the way the right does it. The way the left does it, you're seeing it now. And by the way, it's hilarious that the CIA is doing the Democratic Party trick. I believe in diversity. I'm strong. I'm proud. I'm a daughter of immigrants. I'm a woman of color. I'm perfectly made. I'm proud of me. I'm a cisgender millennial. I have generalized anxiety disorder. I'm intersectional. I despise the patriarchy. And by the way, my main job is going to be to press the button on the drones that blows up innocent people overseas. That's what it is. That's what we're talking about now. We're going to continue a neoconservative foreign policy. We're going to continue imperialism. We're going to continue rampant corruption and corporatism. But I will put it in a nice Gen Z-friendly package. I can't wait until the day the CIA puts an anime avatar on Twitter. Because that day is probably coming based on this video. That's for damn sure. Okay. Next! Here we go, y'all. Here we go. Next. Elizabeth Warren is out with a, a new book. Actually, I'm not sure it's out, out yet, but some people in the media got a copy early. Um, and it, it appears just as insufferable as you would think it is. So here's The Hill reporting on it. In her book... Warren largely attributes her loss to a flailing effort to explain how to pay for Medicare for all, according to the Post. She also says that she had to run in the shadow of former Secretary of State Hillary, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, I, there's a typo there, and Martha Coakley, who unsuccessfully ran for Senate in 2010. Quote, I had to run against the shadows of Martha and Hillary, Warren said suggesting that Democrats feared nominating a woman who might lose to Trump again. 
So um, in her long book, by the way, she totally dodges the topic of the smearing of Bernie Sanders that she did, where she basically implied that he's a misogynist. Um, she totally dodges that, which I think shows that deep down she, uh, she feels bad about what she did to somebody who was supposed to be her friend. Um, but so the two reasons she gives as to, hey, here's why I lost, her stance on Medicare for all. Now, she doesn't, by the way, say, oh, what I should have done is been more unapologetically in favor of Medicare for all and went with the Bernie line, which was, yeah, your taxes are going to get raised, but you're not going to pay any private taxes anymore to a corporation, to a health insurance company, so you're going to net save money. Better care and you save money. She doesn't say that's what I should have done. So it's up to you to try to determine what she thinks the solution is on that front. You know, she might be saying, hey, I just should have not come out in favor of Medicare for all at all, or I should have never touched the issue, or it should have been public option, or I should have given a, a, a better way to pay for it. What happened was her answer on paying for Medicare for all pissed everybody off, and it was really Weasley, um, and it was like, she was trying to have her cake and eat it too and say, nobody taxes are going to be raised even a penny, and nobody really bought that, and she kind of released a plan that was very weird and, and incomplete, and it's like a piecemeal approach with Band-Aids and bubblegum, and, you know, it's not, it didn't really make that much sense, and her rhetoric on it wasn't great, and so it pissed off everybody. It pissed off the pro-Medicare for All crowd who nominally should have been on her side, because she says she's for Medicare for All, and it pissed off everybody else because they were like, you just seem like you're trying to avoid a direct answer here. So is that one of the reasons she uh, went down in the polls? Probably, but I really think it has a lot more to do with the fact that as the campaign went on, she pivoted from being the Elizabeth Warren of the past, which was focused more on like Wall Street and regulation and taxes and economic issues, and she became a lot more reliant on social issues and became a lot more reliant on identity nonsense. And the same thing happened with Kamala, where when she, early on, where she was pretending to be in favor of Medicare for All, she was one of the top-tier candidates. And then as soon as she stopped talking about economic stuff and healthcare and started leaning into, I think we should ban Trump from Twitter, she just plummeted. And she wasn't, nobody liked her anymore. So it was a similar thing that happened with Warren and Kamala, which is, I think that a lot of their staffers, their advisors, gave them terrible advice about how, you know, you got to lean into the social issues and lean into the identity stuff. And they did that, and then they plummeted in popularity. And, you know, if they just stayed true to the original idea, which is let me actually pretend like I'm economically populist, they could have done well. I really think, especially, um, actually, I was going to say especially Warren, but no, I think both of them could have done phenomenally well. Both of them could have won if they acted more like they were economically populist. Um, but she's, so she's pointing to the Medicare for all thing, Elizabeth Warren is. Yeah, she, I mean, that's a fair thing to point to. Hey, that's probably one of the reasons why you went down. But the other reason is she's like, she basically says, I don't, I don't think the Democratic Party was going to pick a woman because they just saw a woman lose to Trump. And so it's the fact that I'm a woman. That's one of the main reasons I lost. No, Elizabeth Warren. No, no. There's a reason why at one point you were top of the field. There's a reason why at one point Kamala Harris was top of the field. 
obviously there is no hesitation or, you know, skittishness about picking a woman. A woman was picked in 2016, and you guys were leading at various points. The Demo- Nobody who's a Democratic Party voter is holding against you arbitrary characteristics like your gender or your skin color or your sexual orientation. No Democratic voter is going to hold that against you. So really, this is just a bad excuse. It's an excuse to say, well, what was I going to do? You know, I may have messed up on the Medicare for all thing, but the fact that I was a, I'm a woman didn't, didn't help me. In fact, it hurt me. That's nonsense, and that's a cop-out. And so I'm actually kind of floored at Elizabeth Warren's ability, but also Hillary Clinton was the queen of this in the past. The inability, I should say, to really... Like, I'm amazed. Aren't you a little curious as to why it went the way it went? Don't you want real answers? Or are you just looking for a Band-Aid for your ego? So when you put your head down on your pillow at night, you feel like, hey, what was I going to do? It's out of my control. And I really think the answer is there's a lot of ego protection going on with these people, whether it's Hillary Clinton or whether it's uh, Elizabeth Warren. I think that, that she is trying to come up with answers that just make her feel better and not necessarily the true answer, not the correct answer. And I find that pathetic, man. I really do. You need to be ruthlessly self-critical, not just when it comes to politics, but in life in general. You need to be honest with yourself. Um, because if you're not honest with yourself, what's going to happen in this case? Well, she could run again, and she can embarrass herself again because she's not giving the correct answer as to why she lost. So if she really cared, if she really looked into it, and if she had future political ambitions, you know, she would say, yes, the reason I lost is because I was – very heavy on economics and taxes and serious issues early on, and then that kind of faded, um, and I became more social issues focused. Um, If she came to that conclusion, then yes, she could potentially run again and fire all the terrible staffers and bring in ones who care about serious policy stuff, like Robert Reich, for example. Reich, Reich, however you say it. Or or any any of a number of economics-minded people, because If she runs again and does that, she would realize, oh, yeah, I did a lot better when I focused on the serious stuff than on the identity stuff and the social issue stuff. So, again, I'm just floored that you can have somebody who is pretending to look for answers, but they're really totally uninterested in getting the right answers, getting the real reason why they plummeted in popularity. And I just find it such a sad, terrible excuse, the oh, it's just because, you know, I'm a woman and women lost previously, and so people were afraid a woman might lose. No. People saw that you were very opportunistic and careerist and cynical in how you're running your campaign and what the focus eventually became that you lost a lot of appeal, you know. There was a time when everybody on the left thought of Elizabeth Warren as like this serious policy person, the person who gave us the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and pushed Obama from Obama's left, There was a time when a lot of people thought of Elizabeth Warren like that, and then all of that credibility was just blown. And she was uniquely in a position for the 2020 election, too. Why? Because we had Bernie's run in 2016. He fired up the left. Everybody was really excited for him. And the establishment uh, candidate in 2016 ended up getting the nomination, Hillary. So Warren had the potential and the ability to make the argument of like, yeah, I'm sort of halfway between Bernie, the Bernie wing 
and the establishment wing. And so if you want the compromise candidate, I'm the person. But she, uh, she blew it. She blew it massively. And it, it was actually embarrassing. She got no better than third in any primaries or caucuses. No better than third. Even in her home state, she lost. Massachusetts, she lost Massachusetts. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. So, you know, what you should do is look for the right answers, look for the truth as opposed to just parroting the things that make you feel good. And, and I will say, I have a hunch, by the way, that uh, the Medicare for all thing, she is sort of saying, I should have just not said I'm in favor of Medicare for all. I really think that's her takeaway. Because her political instincts are bad, but I think her staffs are even worse, and she listens to her staff, thinking that, you know, there's her experts and they know what they're talking about. Well, you and them ran your campaign into the ground, so perhaps they have no clue what the fuck they're talking about. But Elizabeth Warren's new book, Persist, um, I'm sure it's going to be terrible, and based on everything we've seen so far, it will be. Okay. All right, now. Speaking of Hillary, she's back in the show. Here we go. Hillary Clinton has emerged from her hiding place in the woods, probably behind her mansion in... uh, wealthy suburb of New York. Here is uh, what Axios is saying. Hillary Clinton and Condoleezza Rice told members of the House Foreign Affairs Committee they're worried about Biden's plan to withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan. Of course. She emerges from hiding to remind us, I love war and war is good. can't parody it. You cannot parody it. Hey, Hillary and Condoleezza, how long would you like to be in Afghanistan for? One more year? Five more years? Ten more years? Twenty more years? Do you want to never leave? Hillary and Condoleezza, do me a favor and define victory for me. What would be considered victory? When would you say, oh, we accomplished our mission. Look at that. When would you say it? Or would you never say it? Do you not even have a goal or an aim in mind? I love how they're now making me defend Joe Biden. They're making me defend Joe Biden. See, now Biden's position, to be clear, we don't actually know. Is he really going to withdraw everybody? Or is he going to leave the private contractors and special ops and people like that there? There's evidence that points in both directions, okay? But even if Biden's position is the worst position of, I'm going to get all the troops out but leave in you know, the, the contractors and special ops, so on and so forth, even if that's Biden's position, it's still better than Hillary Clinton and Condoleezza Rice's. Because they're saying, no, definitely keep the contractors there, but keep the troops there too. What's wrong with you? Why would you pull out? By the way, um, you know how centrist Democrats always harp away on unity, 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 unity. Well, guess what? We learned uh, in on this, call with the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Condoleezza Rice and Hillary were agreeing with Republican politicians 
who are like, oh, yes, we're very concerned about what's going to happen, and the Taliban will come back and be stronger than ever. And you got Hillary Clinton nodding in agreement and saying, I think that's a good point. I don't agree with what Biden is doing. So what happened to unity? All of a sudden, when a Democratic president, even a corporate Democrat, decides to maybe do something positive, the other corporate Democrats turn. And, of course, Hillary Clinton is now in league with Condoleezza Rice and other neoconservative war criminal hawks because she herself is a neoconservative war criminal hawk. But isn't that amazing? We don't hear a goddamn word from Hillary about anything unless and until Biden's maybe about to do something good, and then she comes out and reminds us, no, do the bad thing. Do the more unpopular thing. By the way, I thought we were supposed to live in a constitutional republic and a representative democracy. And in a democracy, you know what would happen? The president would listen to the people because the people are screaming, get out of Afghanistan. We've already been there 20 years. What more do you want? There was a poll that came out years ago. The war in Afghanistan was already more unpopular than the Vietnam War at the height of its unpopularity. We're talking about an approval rating in the teens. I don't remember what it was, 13%, 18%, something like that. An approval rating for a war in the teens. And the military-industrial complex and the deep state just continues doing it. And finally, we get some movement in the correct direction, and Hillary Clinton comes out and reminds us, no, don't do that. By the way, we'll talk more about this a little, a little later, but what's so incredible is that all of the ways you would measure how the war is going, with us there, those, those things were terrible. For example, the Taliban was, has control of over 50% of Afghanistan. That is with us being there. When we invaded back in 2001, the Taliban controlled less of Afghanistan than they do now. So if the idea was, hey, we got to beat back the Taliban, well, congratulations, you failed. With you being there, you failed. Now, I bring this up to point out, now the media is going to talk about that. They're going to say, oh, we began the withdrawal, and look at that. The Taliban controls over 50% of Afghanistan guess you got to blame the withdrawal. What they don't tell you is, while we were still there, that was the case. So there's going to be a lot of misleading stuff that you're going to see. I guarantee you, you're going to see a lot of misleading stuff. They're going to have all these little factoids that they point to about why it's a terribly irresponsible thing for us to be there, or for us to, uh, excuse me, not be there. And uh, it's going to drive me fucking crazy, because I knew I, I was well-versed in what was going on there while we were there, and now they're going to point to all those failures of us being there and say, that's because we pulled out that those things happened. It's beyond frustrating. It really is. Um, and they don't even bother to give reasons anymore, man. They don't even bother to give goals, aims, a mission. I mean, Biden said it in his speech declaring that we're getting out. He was like, we were supposed to go there to get Osama bin Laden. Homeboy's been dead for a long time. In fact, it was Obama and Biden that killed Osama bin Laden. So... Okay, mission accomplished. Come on. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing there? What are we doing? You said to get Osama bin Laden. Mission accomplished. You said to get Al-Qaeda. Well, there's next to no Al-Qaeda operatives left in Afghanistan. The Taliban is not Al-Qaeda. They were protecting Al-Qaeda for a while. Now there's fewer than 100 Al-Qaeda operatives in Afghanistan, and that's according to our own intelligence agencies from years ago. So, again, what are we doing there? It just became like, let's do a permanent guerrilla war against the Taliban. So that's a guerrilla army in their own country, and you want to stay there nominally to fight back against them. But that's the thing, guys. It's not, it's not actually about that. It's not about that. 
maybe some of the people who are advocating for it, some of the politicians are dumb enough to think that's really what it's about. Freedom and liberty and democracy and women's rights and the other trash arguments they use. They're going to bring up the women's rights thing a lot. Oh, women's rights have got so much worse than we thought. But the real reason, it has a lot more to do with money, with business, with the military-industrial complex. Don't take my word for it. Take Dwight Eisenhower's word for it, a Republican president who said, beware of the military-industrial complex. A lot of people make a lot of money from war. A lot of people make a lot of money. Then also you got trillions of dollars worth of mineral wealth in Afghanistan as well. And we don't want China or Russia to get their hands on it. So we're basically permanently occupying the country so that we can control the natural resources and we could have control of a vital geopolitical region in the area. So that's really what's going on. And um, the establishment is fighting back against Biden because Biden, maybe, maybe not, is getting out. Again, he might leave the contractors there. But even that, to these ghouls, is a bridge too far. How dare you even reduce our presence? That's unacceptable. You have to keep up there. All right, let me do one more. On This one's going to be on Bernie, and then we'll take a break. Wait, let me pull up. Do I have the thing? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Bernie Sanders went on Colbert's show, and he said something here that I'm going to play for you. You have the blue MAGA types, the resistance liberal types, the standard Democratic Party tribalist types. They're accusing Bernie of white supremacy for what he says here. So let me play the clip and then I'll tell you what some of the chatter is. You got half a million people sleeping out on the streets. You got 90 million people who are uninsured or underinsured. You got millions of people working for salvation wages. People have seen their jobs go to China and Mexico. And these people are looking out and say, does anyone give a damn about me? Why, do I, why should I have faith in a government in a government that has deserted me and my family. And then on the, with that mentality, people become open for a conspiracy theories, for big lies, etc. So um, you determine whether or not you think that sounds reasonable, but let me give you some of the reaction. Uh, I'm not going to give names here because I don't want to give these people more um, more exposure than they deserve. So you have somebody who describes themselves as a Biden and Harris fan. They say Bernie is on Colbert saying the maggots, by the way, M-A-G-A-T-S. So like MAGA, maggots. Clever. Uh, Bernie on Colbert saying the maggots and QAnon are just victims of poverty. So that's not really what he said, but Thank you for your gross characterization of it and attempt to dismiss it out of hand. Um, another person says, you can just smell the economic anxiety oozing off of these folks. And they put it with a picture of Charlottesville with the um, white supremacists chanting, Jews will not replace us. And they were protesting the pulling down of Confederate monuments. Somebody else says, his constant denial of racism continues to make it impossible for me to even tolerate him. He says these 
clearly soft-pedaled statements about racism when questioned and then cleans them up when people go, wait a minute. Not everyone poor is ignorant or racist. Somebody else says, the progressive movement needs a competent leader who understands the issues of our time. All Sanders does on race, class, gender, technology, unions, etc., is recite the talking points he learned in college in the 1950s. I'm amazed that that clip is sparking this much of a backlash. Somebody says, um, he clearly hasn't been reading the stories about the people arrested for the insurrection. They are not poor folks. I'm going to come back to that one because there's an important rebuttal to that. This is one of my favorites. He says, the old, somebody says, the old trope of jobs going to Mexico and China, further vilifying those people instead of the corporations that sent their business there for low wages and massive profits. It's not an old trope that jobs are going to Mexico and China. Jobs are going to Mexico and China, and to point that out is not racist against those people. To point that out is an empirical fact, and what you do about that is a different question. What you do about that is, as Bernie would say, you crack down on the outsourcing. That is what Bernie would say. Bernie's not blaming Mexicans and Chinese people. Jesus Christ, these people. They read into what Bernie says. It, it's, it's unbelievable. And then finally, here's the, here's the main one. So the original person who tweeted this out and went after Bernie. Somebody responds to them and makes a decent point. They say, are you actually listening to what he's saying? He's talking about the conditions that prime people for conspiratorial thinking, and he's absolutely right. The reaction to that from the original account that tweeted it is, here come the anime losers to defend white supremacy. White supremacy. So Bernie's comment is white supremacy. To list the problems that people have and to say, hey, these people feel like the system is broken and that makes them much more likely to hear out charlatans and conmen and frauds and people who take advantage of their pain and misdirect their anger the wrong way. He's called, he, it, they say he's perpetuating white supremacy by pointing this out. I don't know how to respond to that other than to say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Now, listen, let's get into the specific issue in question here. Um, Somebody makes the point, hey, listen, he's, Bernie's just wrong because a lot of the people who went to that January 6th attempted insurrection, one person flew there on a private jet. You know, there were some people who were wealthy who were there. So how do I respond to that? Well, first of all, yes, there are plenty of people who are like that. There are plenty of people who are wealthy and they're still terrible assholes. And for many people... This is important. This is the heart of the issue here. For many people, having conspiratorial beliefs, far right-wing beliefs, etc., it is ideological. So in other words, they come to it not from personal pain and despair and anguish and poverty and all these other issues. It's ideological. It's like it's like it's like how you get like wealthy kids or kids of wealthy families who end up in a cult it's not that they were struggling financially and that's what led them to get to go into a cult. No, they just came across it and were duped by it effectively and started to believe the nonsense. There are plenty of people who are purely ideological and that's how they came to believe terrible things or be part of a bad movement or be in a cult or whatever. But the point Bernie's making 
And this is inarguably correct because there's detailed political science research on this. The harder you make it for people, so in other words, the more pain they're in, the more desperate they are, uh, the more extreme the poverty that they live in, that does make it more likely that they'll turn to charlatans, con men, and frauds. Because when you have that desperation and you feel like the system that already exists has totally left you behind, anybody who comes along and says, hey, fuck that system, I'm going to change that system, I'm with you and I'm against that, they're going to get the support of those people, of course. And that might come with a whole lot of baggage and a whole lot of negative beliefs associated with it. And that doesn't mean you excuse the negative beliefs, but it does mean you have an explanation as to how we got to the point where many people are part of a far-right movement or believe terrible things. So in other words, the real answer here, guys, I know this is crazy to point out. It's both things. Yes, there are plenty of rich people who join far-right movements and have terrible beliefs, and they didn't join it because of personal pain and anguish and poverty and despair or economics. Plenty of people like that. Plenty of people who are wealthy and then join Al-Qaeda. So are all Al-Qaeda operatives where they all bombed by U.S. drones, their mom was killed by a U.S. drone, and so they join Al-Qaeda, or they're living in poverty and despair, and they have no job opportunities, and so they just go join Al-Qaeda? No. But in the same way you have ideological people who can go into these things no matter what, you also have a situation where many people who are living in poverty and degradation and, and extreme circumstances that are terrible that does make it more likely that they go join those groups. And so both things are true. You can have people be ideological and join the far right, and you can have people who find a home in the far right because they are living in extreme poverty. They do have terrible lives. They do have no hope. And those far right movements recruit them and make them think like, I'm on your side. Everybody else isn't. I'm on your side. And so they join it. So in other words, and I don't think Bernie would deny the ideological point, by the way. Bernie would not deny that there are plenty of people who fill in the blank, join Al-Qaeda, join the Klan, join, you know, the hardcore Trump believers or QAnon. Plenty of people who join them who are just brainwashed and were just convinced that that's right and they have good lives otherwise. Plenty of people are like that. I'm sure Bernie would admit that. But what's crazy is that the people who are criticizing Bernie don't acknowledge the other half of the equation, which is that there are many people who join bad groups and, and believe bad ideologies, yes, because they had terrible lives and live in poverty and degradation, and, you know, that primes them for con men to recruit them. So it's crazy that people would deny that. Again, we have detailed research in, into this. You know, it's been, a very, it's been a well-known fact for a very long time that you probably, even though there are plenty of people who would be Nazis if there wasn't the Versailles Treaty, the Treaty of Versailles made it, made it easier for Hitler to succeed. Why? Because people in Germany were like, we're being fucking screwed here. We're never going to pay off these debts. We have no hope for the future. And so it was very punitive. The Treaty of Versailles was very punitive and then that made it so that a person can come in and exploit it. A demagogue can come in and exploit it and say, these guys don't fucking care about you. They're destroying you. I'm here to save you. 
So, again, I don't know how anybody could really disagree with this. Let me, let me state it a different way, okay? If we lived in a country that had universal health care, that had paid vacation time by law, that had higher wages, let's say we had almost universal unionization, so people had higher wages, and we live in a, in a community that cares about everybody, that doesn't leave people behind, that gives people a fair shot at a decent life, that gives people good wages. If we lived in that country already, would Trump get a following? Yes, he would. There would be some people who love him no matter what. Is Trump more likely or less likely to win in a country that already has their basic needs met and already is a a thriving social democracy. He is much less likely to win. Much less likely. Because people would look at this guy and say, he's a little kooky. And we don't need some sort of extreme nonsense happening here. We got it pretty good already. But no. We had a country that was falling apart. People who felt like they were left behind. And he got this con man who positioned himself as against the establishment and for the people. And so he duped more people because so many people are in pain and desperation and degradation. So it's hard for me to imagine that there are some people who disagree with what I'm saying here. But there are. There are. There There are people who would deny the research that says poverty and extreme scenarios make it more likely that people join bad movements. I don't know how you deny that. You know, you, you make those people much less appealing. You make extreme ideologies much less appealing if people have their basic needs met and they feel like they get a fair shot. So, of course, Bernie's right. And I can't believe people have sunk to the low of accusing him of white, suprem- white supremacy Excuse me, for stating a very obvious fact. Okay, let me take a break. When we come back, got a hell of a lot more. Stay right there, y'all.
back, bitch. Oh, fuck. Hold on, let me grab my drink. Seltzer. Yeah, buddy. Emergency Seltzer. But I got it. I got it. All right. The Democrats are uh, thinking about how to sell Biden's infrastructure package and I regret to inform you that they came up with the most democratic slogan of all time, and by that I mean it's the worst slogan of all time. Um, Take a look. This is from the Washington Post. Some Democrats are hunting for a framework to sell the infrastructure proposals that doesn't sound too liberal, excuse me, hoping to frame it as what they call bold moderation, which they hope might be less objectionable to centrists of both parties. These guys are complete idiots, man. Listen, you guys know my whole spiel about how the Republican Party is 100% bought and owned by corporate America and billionaires, and that's who they're representing. The Democratic Party is like 80% bought by corporations and billionaires, and that's who they're representing. So a lot of the bad um, choices and policy decisions can be pawned off to old-fashioned legalized bribery, corruption. Um, this is one of those instances. This has nothing to do with them being corrupt um, and bought and owned. This has to do with Democrats suck at politics. They suck at politics. They suck at framing. They suck at making their case. They... Um, They're scared of their own shadow. They're permanently on the defense. And this is such a good example of it. Because, listen, if you had the courage of your convictions and you were well-read on this stuff, you would know that everything in that proposal, virtually everything in that proposal, is incredibly popular. Every one of Biden's tax proposals, um, the thing about universal pre-K, for example, the thing about pre-college, There's a bunch of stuff that sells itself. And then on infrastructure with shovel-ready jobs, for example, and and a transition to a new green economy that will employ millions of people, like, you, it's popular. You don't need to take it and say, well, we don't want this to be too popular. Let's make it less popular by using a shitty slogan. No, you should look at that and say, oh, this sort of sells itself, so we should be very straightforward in how we talk about it, and we should go on the offense. Instead, what do they do? They're trying 
to make it sound like it's not re- it's not too far left. This isn't like crazy lefty stuff here. This is, you know, this is bold moderation. Bold moderation. Uh, David Sirota pointed out this is like the West Wing, which broke the brains of liberals across this country. Um, they had a slogan for one of their campaigns in there, practical idealism, bold moderation is how they want to sell this infrastructure plan. How about this? Millions of jobs created. We're going to create millions of jobs. We're going to give you a raise. We're going to do universal free pre-K. We're going to do free college. We're going to raise taxes on the wealthy. Why don't you lean into the fact that this stuff is popular? Why are you not going on the offense against Republicans and saying, Mitch McConnell just said, oh, we're willing to do up to $600 billion in infrastructure, but we don't want to have any of those tax increases that come along with it, and we don't want to do any of Biden's specific ideas. Okay, so you're not in favor of anything. Go after the Republicans for that. Hey, we want to fix this country. We want to give people jobs. We want to rebuild our infrastructure. We want to create the industries of the future. We want to raise taxes on the wealthy. They want to do nothing. They want to do none of that. The framing of this is like if the Democrats didn't really believe in any of the things in their proposal, and so they're walking on eggshells to try to not piss people off. But in the process of doing that, you're going to piss everybody off because the left is going to say this is stupid, and the right's going to laugh at you and say, bold moderation? What does that even mean? They don't it's, – it's, it's, they're so dumb. Listen, I have no – I actually am a proponent of calling the popular ideas moderate in the sense that the overwhelming majority of the American people agree with it. So by that logic, somebody like me is right smack dab in the center of mainstream American opinion. I actually like that a lot. But when you're talking about selling an infrastructure plan where everything in it is popular, just talk about the popular stuff in it. You don't have to come up with a goofy slogan, bold moderation or practical idealism or whatever the fuck to try to make yourself. See, the idea is, oh, we're in favor of good things, but not things that are too good and utopian. So in other words, it's capitulating to that right wing framing of like Reaganism of you know, the scariest words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. It's capitulating up front to that right-wing anti-government worldview. When there's no reason to do that, you can take the opposite position and argue for it. Take the New Deal position. Take the FDR position. You know, that's what you should be. Embrace that. Argue for that. Don't try to split the difference between shitty Reaganism and New Deal politics. Bold moderation. Fuck out of here. See, that's the thing. Seemingly, nobody who's an elected Democrat in this country, or very few, actually believe in what Democratic policies are supposed to be. And so that's where you get stuff like this. That's where this comes from. It comes from this instinct to hide beliefs that are actually pretty popular and social democratic. Bold moderation. Jesus Christ. They're so scared of like the, I'm going to be painted as far left. So what? Then you respond to the idiots who are calling you that and say, everything I'm in favor of is popular. You're not in favor of these things? Wow, you're a fucking idiot. 
but none of them have that thing in them. None of them have that gear in them where they can take on the fight and do it like that. They're called, like, far left, and they go, no, I'm not, I'm not far left. I'm just in favor of practical idealism and bold moderation. I'm scared of my own shadow, and I hate myself. <laughs> I know you all hate yourselves, and you're all totally useless. Honestly, the biggest story in the world right now is, I think it's called the TRIPS waiver. Um, and what that is, is lifting the patent protections for big pharma when it comes to the COVID vaccine. The reason I say this is the biggest issue in the world is because, I don't know if you noticed, we're in a pandemic. We're in a pandemic and we have now created multiple vaccines uh, for this virus and it's only really rich countries that are getting vaccinated now. And um, it's a global community now because of air travel. So if you have, you know, a horrendous COVID outbreak in any country, you pick the country, it's eventually going to get to every country in the world. That's what originally happened. So to, to vaccinate the wealthier countries and then sort of, leave the developing countries out to dry, that's uh, on top of being genocidal, it's also suicidal because it's going to come back to bite everybody in the ass. Um, now, there's this weird concert going on now, this vaccine concert, and nobody has mentioned a single fucking thing about lifting the patent protections for big pharma. And so it's this weird kabuki theater of public health when the actual public health answer, nobody's even talking about it. In, in elite society, it's just it's a non-issue. You don't talk about it. And Biden has been considering lifting that patent protection for big pharma for months now. It's insane to think about it for months. Guys, I don't know how else to say this. Hundreds of thousands or millions of people will die if you don't Lift the patent protections, in other words, allowing anybody who can to make the vaccine generically. So, um, but it's getting worse. Look at this. This is in the Financial Times. Vaccine makers have warned U.S. officials that temporarily scrapping patents for COVID-19 shots would risk handing novel technology to China and Russia, according to people familiar with the talks. In industry lobbying, as industry lobbying has escalated in Washington, companies have warned in private meetings with U.S. trade and White House officials that giving up the intellectual property rights could allow China and Russia to exploit platforms such as mRNA, which could be used for other vaccines or even therapeutics for conditions such as cancer and heart problems in the future. Do you understand what their argument is? Big Pharma is saying, hey, you can't lift our patent protections on the COVID vaccine because China and Russia might get our new mRNA technology and then they might cure cancer or heart disease. That would be a wonderful thing. That would be amazing. That would be the best thing ever. I don't care. 
who comes up with a vaccine or a cure for cancer or heart disease. I just want the cure to exist. You don't? But that's, but that's the thing. They don't. They don't. Because if Russia or China comes up with it, then our big pharma companies can't cash in on it now, can they? And all they see is dollar signs when they think of that. That's all they see. That's all they see. Literally the dumbest, most genocidal thing I've ever read. So now not only are they saying we don't want to lift the patent protections, we don't want to lift the intellectual property rights to give the world the COVID vaccine so we defeat COVID, now not only are they saying that, they're also saying, God forbid we have Russia or China or some companies there cure cancer or heart disease. They would do it with our technology, and then we can't make billions and billions and billions off of that. <laughs> they write this as if regular people are supposed to, supposed to sympathize with them. Do you realize how insane and psychopathic and sociopathic and genocidal you guys look writing this? How do you not see it? How do you not see it? How do you not see that this is not a debate in the rest of the world? All these countries have signed on to that TRIPS waiver because... To, to say, we're going to not allow you to make your own COVID vaccines, you're saying to them, sorry, thousands or millions of people will have to die from COVID to protect pharma's profits. And that's the other thing. From just a politics perspective, forget the morality of it, which we shouldn't, but forget it for a second. From a politics perspective, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Because now what's going to happen? China or Russia. Russia has their own COVID vaccine. They could send that to the rest of the world and then they win brownie points with other countries. Then you have allegiance flips more to Russia. China can do the same thing, sort of like with the Belt and Road Initiative, where they're building infrastructure in developing countries. And it's sort of like a, in, it's their own imperialist project where they can get people more subservient to them by genuinely helping them by building infrastructure. You know, we, we do it by force. We do it at the barrel of a gun. We invade countries and destroy them and then exploit them. China wants to exploit them after helping them build their infrastructure, which is just politically more intelligent. On a human level, it's more intelligent. So you're leaving the door wide open for other countries to step in as the global leader. Right now, the U.S. is the world's sole superpower. And, you know, what we're doing is we're making it much more likely somebody else takes that role and takes it quicker because you're too dumb to realize if you have a vaccine for a pandemic, you have to share with the rest of the world. And there's all these lies that have come, come out around this issue too, where they say, oh no, the reason that we're doing this is because we can't guarantee the safety uh, of vaccines made in whatever, some Indian pharmacy or what have you. And that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard because even if the vaccines aren't safe, to have no vaccines at all, like to have, COVID and nothing to fight back against it, more people are going to die that way. So even if you say the vaccines are less quality or whatever, it still would be better to let them do it. But I don't even buy that argument that they're making that, oh, they're going to be worse quality and we can't, you know, guarantee their quality. Who cares? We need, it's a pandemic, son. All hands on deck. Do whatever the hell you got to do. So that means, you know, every place that can make 
vaccines should make vaccines. And pharma lies and says, oh, every place that can make them is making them. And so this is a non-issue. But you literally, there's been detailed stories of people who are like, I can make the vaccine. You just got to give me the green light. You just have to allow me, let me know. I'm not going to get totally destroyed with endless lawsuits from big pharma. You have to waive that patent protection. You have to get rid of the intellectual property rights. It's a fucking pandemic. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Big pharma are beyond criminal. And shame on Biden for not doing this. On day one, this is a no-brainer. Hmm, to do a genocide or not do a genocide, that is the question. And now they let the mask slip again. We can't give this to the rest of the world because then maybe somebody will cure cancer or heart disease. And that would be terrible because we can't make billions if somebody else cures it. (laughs) Nationalize. I've never seen a better argument for nationalizing big pharma. And don't give me this bullshit about, well, then they're not incentivized to do research and development. Really? There's not incentive to try to cure heart disease and cancer. There's no incentive in that. I'm pretty sure there's, that's all incentive to do that because you don't want to die of heart disease or cancer. And by the way, the government already does the spending for the research and development. It's the National Institute of Health, $41 billion they spent on it. And then Big Pharma buys the patents. Taxpayers pay for the research, find something. Then Big Pharma swoops in, buys up the rights to that stuff, and double charges you and, and, and price gouges you on the back end. So no. billion worth of research and development with our tax money, we should get that for free. We should get it for free. And it would be for free if we nationalized it. It should be paid for with tax money. So this is ridiculous. Every day they prove that they shouldn't have this power, that we should nationalize big pharma. Because this truly is genocidal, and I find it amazing that we're having a debate on what to do. All right, next. So I told you guys that uh, what was going to happen is there's going to be a lot of propaganda on Afghanistan. Biden says he wants to get fully out. There's an open question as to whether or not he's going to get fully out or he's going to just take the troops out and leave the contractors and the special ops and those people there. Putting that issue aside for a second, either way, whether he's just pulling out the boots on the ground troops or pulling out everybody, either way, the media is against it. And they're going to do the bidding of whoever their sources are at the Pentagon or the CIA or the deep state or the uh, defense contractors. They're going to have people whispering in their ear, hey, this is a terrible thing. I have a story for you. You want to cover it? And then they tell them, oh, everything on the ground in Afghanistan is bad. and It's so bad because we're getting out and we need to stay. So right on time, right on time, we have propaganda for us to stay in Afghanistan. The Washington Post says, it's all Taliban country now. New militant checkpoints on key roadways choke off of Afghanistan. Here we go. So, they fearmonger in this article and they say, oh, it used to be the case that you could drive from one place to another place and the government would be in control of the area. And now if you try to drive from one place to another place, there's Taliban checkpoints. And so the country is falling to the Taliban. And they're trying to make it seem like that's because we're withdrawing this has happened. Hello? This is happening. Hello? Now, what they don't tell you is this. Over 50% of Afghanistan was controlled by the Taliban even while we were there. When we invaded Afghanistan in 2001, 
the Taliban controlled less of the country than it does today. So even with us being there, for decades, the Taliban gained territory and gained territory and gained territory. So obviously us being there was not magic bullet. That's not the saying, is it? It's silver bullet, right? It's not this silver bullet. Magic bullet's the thing that killed JFK. Anyway, uh, it's, not, it's not this cure-all. If we just stay there, everything will be okay. Actually, if we just stayed there, we would be there, and you and the Washington Post and all these other outlets wouldn't make a big deal out of the fact that the Taliban controls over 50% of the country. It only became a story now because we're leaving... And you want to do propaganda to keep us there because you're doing the bidding of your sources who want to keep us there. And so now, all of a sudden, it's, it's a huge problem. Oh, checkpoints all over, Taliban all over. Why don't you tell the story of how the people we aligned ourselves with in Afghanistan are warlords. And the warlords have child sex slaves. And when our own soldiers blew the whistle on the child sex slaves and the warlords, they were kicked out of the military. Why don't you tell that story? We need to make sure the Taliban doesn't control all these regions so we can give the regions back to the child-fucking warlords. You want to make that deal? Is that a good deal? Do you support that deal? I don't think I support that deal. I don't think I like that. See, now, so here it is. I told you it was coming, and here it is. They don't even tell you that the Taliban controlled over 50% of the country when we were there. They don't even, they don't even say it, because that would undermine their point of, oh, now everything's going to shit because we started the withdrawal. So what are we doing? we got to stay in there. Expect it more and more, man. I told you there's going to be a thousand things in the media about how it's stupid, it's wrong, it's dumb, it's, it's dangerous. It's all these things if we get out of Afghanistan. The endless, there's going to be, oh, women's rights are degrading back to the Stone Age. Oh, no, we need to stay there. That's always going to be the implication. When we were there, the Taliban still controlled most of the country. When we were there, our allies were warlords. Not even there for freedom and democracy. That's not even the reason we're there. We're there because it's profitable for the military-industrial complex, and we can get trillions of dollars. We have access to trillions of dollars of mineral wealth. That has a lot more to do with it. It has more to do with the new Cold War with Russia and China. We want control of that region. So it's not going to stop. The propaganda is going to keep coming, and so many people are going to fall for it. And they're going to think, oh, I guess we have to go back in. They, and notice, they always just change the reason to, as why we're there. Oh, to get Osama bin Laden. Oh, he's dead. Oh, to get al-Qaeda. Okay, there's not many al-Qaeda there. Oh, for, uh, women's rights, something. Why don't you want to – Saudi Arabia is one of our top allies. We give them money and weapons. Don't you want to fix – human rights with our allies before you get to somebody who's not an ally. You have more sway over Saudi Arabia than you do over what's going on in rural Afghanistan. Uh, women's rights, I say women's rights. Women's rights, I meant uh, freedom and democracy. Okay, well, it's not a freedom and democracy. Okay. Um, all right, I have no other reason but just shut up and let me stay there. We need to stay there so we can do things like the Kunduz hospital bombing where we killed civilians. That's why we need to stay there. We need to make sure that if any civilians are being killed, it's us doing it and not the Taliban. Then we'd feel better, right? Then we'd feel better at the end of the day. Ugh. The 
propaganda is not going to stop. There's going to be endless articles about how it's crazy that we're getting out of Afghanistan and see what's happening now. They're fear-mongering about Taliban checkpoints in Afghanistan, where, by the way, they admit it's like one or two Taliban members, right, at each checkpoint. They're fear-mongering about that. We don't even have clean water in Flint, Michigan. But they want you to read this story and the takeaway to be, we should stay in Afghanistan forever. It's absurd. All right, next. So the state of Florida has an interesting new bill. Let me tell you about it. The Florida House and Senate voted this week to pass legislation that would prohibit social media companies from banning politicians. Hmm. Fines for social media companies that try to ban politicians from their platforms could add up to $250,000 a day for statewide politicians and $25,000 a day for other elected officials. That's unsensible reported. The bill, which still allows for politicians to be suspended for two weeks and for individual posts to be taken down if they violate the company's policies, is now headed to Republican Governor Ron DeSantis. Opponents argue the measure is unconstitutional and that Republicans are only advancing it because former President Trump was banned from multiple social media platforms after he continued to spread false election conspiracy theories after the deadly Capitol riot. Okay, so um, allowing two-week suspensions is basically Florida's way of saying, yeah, if somebody breaks the, uh, violates the uh, terms of service and violates those rules, you are allowed to do a punishment. You just can't ban them. You just can't kick them off the entire time. Um, and in regards to whether or not it's about President Trump, yeah, who are we kidding? It's about President Trump, and it's also about this idea that many on the right have that they are victims of being targeted by Silicon Valley, and uh, there's this deplatforming and censorship that they think only cuts against the right. It's factually wrong that it only cuts against the right, but they think that it only cuts against the right. So... It's really an attempt to say you're not allowed to ban Trump from Twitter, um, and it's an attempt to say we want to try to protect free speech more on social media. The reason this is supremely ironic, we just covered a story. Ron DeSantis signed a, a bill that bans free speech in Florida, that bans free protest. If you're part of a protest and somebody, who, somebody else who's part of the protest throws a rock or something, they can now arrest you as being part of like an unruly riot, even though you didn't do anything violent, and you have to stay in prison until you can get in front of a judge. So if it happens on a certain day, you might be in prison for two days. You might be in jail for two days. So it's an attempt to ban peaceful protests. In fact, DeSantis even almost admitted it. Like, yeah, this is, we want fewer people to join these protests. So they're banning free protests and free speech in Florida. If they don't like your politics, they also there's bills like, oh, if you happen to run over a protester who's in the road, what are you going to do? No charges. Almost incentivizing people to do it and then afterwards say it was an accident. So you can run over protesters. I mean, deeply, deeply unconstitutional, deeply against freedom of speech. And then they turn around and say, we believe in free speech and we need to protect it on social media. This is. Total nonsense, because you and I both know they've never said a single goddamn word when somebody they disagree with gets booted or deplatformed. 
They don't say anything about it because they're not actually principled on this front. And there are plenty of people. I mean, there's been a number of high-profile Antifa accounts that are permanently banned from Twitter. Did Ron DeSantis or any Republicans in Florida or, or other places say, whoa, 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 you can't do this. This is, they have free speech rights just like anybody else does. They never say anything. They never say anything. Did I hear anybody say anything? The Donald got pulled from Reddit. I said that's messed up. Chapo Trap House got pulled from Reddit too, and nobody, nobody else said anything. No conservatives said, oh, I want to support the right of Chapo Trap House to be there. Nobody said anything. So really this is protect me. Protect me, protect Republicans, and, I mean, they don't have in mind anybody on the left in crafting this. In fact, they specifically have in mind President Trump. But the thing is, and this is why it's extra pathetic, the way that the bill is crafted, it's not to actually protect free speech on social media. It's just for politicians. So in other words, the rules can apply to the peasants, and they could get permabanned, but politicians, they can't. So it's carving out a special class of free speech for just the politicians, which is not nearly far enough. If I was crafting this bill, I would try to make it so that Twitter or other social media companies need to abide by, need to act like a public utility. And so you, you can't ban anybody unless it's for you know, a direct threat of violence after an open process where the evidence is evaluated, unless it's for doxing or direct threats of violence, you know? So I would go further. I would protect free speech further if I was crafting this bill at the state level. But it's totally self-serving because they only do it for politicians. And in their mind, they just have Trump in mind and other Republican politicians who happen to get banned. So it's annoying. And I feel like the left should really be the ones to pick up this issue, Uh, the issue of free speech, regulating the big social media companies as if they're public utilities and expanding First Amendment protections. Because it really, they're already coming after the left just as much as they do the right. And in the long run, they'll come after the left more because the left really challenges power and the right doesn't. So the bill is close to being a good bill, but it's too specific to only protect politicians. Um, and they really were only thinking of President Trump. And at the same time, he's doing an anti-free speech and free protest bill. So he's a total hypocrite. So weird place with weird stuff going on. I think Ron DeSantis has uh, ambitions to be president. And uh, a lot of this stuff is, a lot of these bills are uh, crafted with that thought in mind, that he's signing these bills and he needs to be ready to defend them and argue for them on the debate stage. But uh, again, almost I would do a bill that regulates social media companies like public utilities if I was in any of the states or if I was in uh, if I was president, if I was in the federal government. I really think that's the way forward. And uh, they're getting close here, but they're really not there because it's self-serving. It's just for politicians. They're really thinking it's just Republicans. And they're also cracking down on free speech elsewhere. Next, this is a story that hits close to home. Um, talked about this a little bit on Crystal Kyle and Friends, but I want to do a separate segment on it. The Biden administration is expected to announce a proposed ban on menthol-flavored cigarettes this week, the Washington Post reported. The ban has long been sought by public health advocacy groups, and the administration is facing a Thursday deadline to respond to a lawsuit demanding that 
the Food and Drug Administration take action on a 2013 citizen petition seeking a menthol cigarette ban. The White House directed questions to the FDA, which declined to comment. The FDA's decision would not immediately ban menthol flavors, but would instead launch a rulemaking process that would likely take years. Any final decision would also likely be challenged in court by the tobacco industry. Okay, so um, they want to get the ball rolling and start the process of banning menthol cigarettes. So let's get a few things out of the way. First of all, are cigarettes dangerous? They're phenomenally dangerous. It's honestly one of the worst drugs out there. Um, it's actually not the nicotine in the cigarettes. It's the endless carcinogens. There's so many carcinogens in cigarettes. So is it bad? It's bad. I smoked for at least five years, probably longer. My father passed away from lung cancer, probably brought about by the fact he was two-pack-a-day kind of guy. He used to smoke Marlboro Lights like nobody's business. Um, having said all that, I disagree. I totally disagree with banning it. In 2009, they banned all other flavors except the regular cigarettes and menthol. Um, so that there were all these, you know, clever whatever, strawberry cigarettes, pineapple cigarettes, so on and so forth, and um, they banned them. They banned them. And the reason was, oh, we got to look out for the kids. They were already banned for kids. So I'm not buying that, like, that's a good reason because the thing you say you want is already the case. It's already banned for kids. Oh, but then kids can get them illegally underage. Okay, well, then you better find a way to crack down on the people who are selling it to kids illegally underage. To, to take it away from adults because kids might use it, you could use that argument against anything. You could say we have to ban porn because we don't want kids seeing it. And it's like, okay, I don't want kids seeing it either, but that doesn't mean you ban it for adults. And if some kids happen to slip through the cracks and see it, find a way to deal with that specifically. You don't take it away from adults. So I felt the same way about the 2009 flavored cigarette ban. I think that's authoritarian. And I think this is authoritarian too. And it is the case that the menthol flavored cigarettes, it's mostly black people who like it. Now they would say, oh, well that they were targeted in a racist way by the tobacco companies. But now you're also, so what about black people who enjoy menthol cigarettes now? You're going to go take it away from them. And somehow when tobacco targets them, it's racist. But when you take away something that a lot of black people like, that's not racist. I'm just trying to understand the logic here. What's the logic? Oh, but the cigarettes kill them. People know cigarettes are bad for them, and sometimes free adults choose to make the decision even though they know it's bad for them. People know cigarettes are bad for them, and some people still choose to smoke. You don't like that, you can fuck off. It's not your decision. You don't have to smoke, but you shouldn't tell somebody else that they can't do it. So I don't... I think it's fucked up, and there is an argument. It is sort of anti-black, because mo menthol cigarettes, mostly it's black people who smoke it, and that's what the numbers show. By the way, I smoke menthols too. <laughs> but so why would you not, oh, well, we're going to ban the regular flavored cigarettes now too. It's mostly white people who do that. Somehow those are getting left alone, but the menthol ones are getting taken away. All right, now let's, let's dig a little deeper on this because I don't want to make it seem like I'm in favor of zero regulation because I'm actually a big proponent of regulation. I think the approach for this should be the same as the approach for um, drugs, and prostitution, and gambling, it should be legal, taxed, and regulated. So in the case of cigarettes, how would I regulate it? Well, Crystal Ball made a great point to me. She was like, um, the advertising is a huge problem 
and you could just ban the advertising. Totally agree. I would definitely ban the advertising for cigarettes. A lot of it is restricted already. I'd go all the way, ban all advertising for cigarettes. Um, what else would I, I – oh, this is a side point, but I'd also ban Big Pharma from marketing their pills and running commercials. It's the weirdest thing in the world. And they already have that. That's already the case in most developed countries. There are no ads for drugs, like for medicine. If you want medicine, you go to the doctor, and then they give you the medicine. You don't ask for what you think you need or what you want. You're not a doctor, so it's just weird that Big Pharma runs ads. But anyway, that's, I digress because that's a different conversation. I would totally ban the marketing. No problem with that whatsoever. The other thing I would do is I would ban – or excuse me, I would add – just like they do, I think they do this in Canada and maybe in the UK. I'm fine with the regulation that shows all the illnesses that you can get from cigarettes right on the cigarette package. You could show the pictures of the black lung and the cancer and how this is what happens if you smoke, dog. I'm just letting you know. Now, yes, that's a little invasive and it's a little in your face, but it's also true. So I'm in favor of people knowing all the facts and making informed decisions. And if you know all the facts and you choose to buy the cigarettes, fine, but I want you to know all the facts. And the facts are you're probably going to get emphysema or cancer or have some other health issue down the road, and here's what some of that stuff looks like. So I would do that regulation. I would uh, ban advertising, put the effects of smoking right on the package. I would even be fine with limits in terms of how much you could buy at any given time. You know, that seems weird, but it's a regulation that – I don't think is unreasonable. Um, there's a number of things I do. I would even go as far as to say, if the government wants to regulate some certain carcinogens out of cigarettes, like, because there's, I don't even remember the number. It might be hundreds of carcinogens in a cigarette. If you say, hey, we're going to take the worst ones and regulate them out. And so, you know, cigarettes are still cigarettes, but maybe the formula changes just a touch and it's a little bit safer than it was. Because there are cigarettes that people, some companies sell that have way fewer carcinogens in them. And they sort of push it based on that fact. I'd be fine with the government regulating out the worst carcinogens in a lot of these cigarettes. But where I definitely draw the line is don't say they can't make them whatever flavor they want to make them and people can't consume whatever flavor they want to consume. Because that is, I think that, that's authoritarian and that's big government making decisions for you that you should be able to make yourself. So I just, I don't agree. I don't agree with this move. I think, uh, it's just, I find it so fucked up that we live in a country where they don't provide us with health care. We don't have universal health care in this country. We don't even have guaranteed vacation time. We don't even have guaranteed maternity leave. So in so many ways, the government and society puts their middle finger up, uh, up to us and says, fuck you. We don't care about you. But then when you find some little thing that gives you pleasure, like smoking, knowing it's bad for you, but you chose to do it, the government steps in and says, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you have the thing, the flavor that you like. I'm not going to let you do it. So the same government that tells me, hey, fuck off, I'm not going to give you health care when every other developed country gives their citizens health care, the same government that doesn't give you guaranteed paid vacation time or guaranteed paid maternity leave, the same government that has a minimum wage that's not even a living wage, they're going to turn around and pretend to care about you, and I care about you so much I'm going to stop you from having the thing you want to have because it's not good for you. No, I, cannot, I can't abide by that. I, that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Don't tell me to fuck off in a thousand different ways, and then when I, 
when I find something I like, all of a sudden you pretend to care about me? Fuck out of here. So anyway, I'm happy I quit smoking. It is terrible for you, but you got to let people make decisions for themselves. I mean, it's really no business of the government. And it just strikes me as a waste of time, waste of energy, and there are so many better other regulations that can be done for cigarettes. And this one is just fucked up and anti-freedom. All right, next, guys. Fox News um, wanted to go after Ilhan Omar, wanted to go after the left flank of the Democratic Party, and so they invited on somebody who's originally from Cuba to make the case that America's awesome, Cuba's terrible, that's communism, the left of the Democrats, they want communism. Um, And so they go off on this idiotic back and forth. Somebody else who came here uh, from another country fleeing uh, for various reasons, uh, Ilan Omar, uh, said this, uh, and it said this, uh, key policies have been for uh, progressively sponsored bills for more than a decade and now being pushed by POTUS are basically her ideas, free pre-K, tax the rich in corporations, pay family leave, child care, and school meals. That's the power of organizing. Uh, she, she and the squad who are way to the left, are running, it seems, most of the programs that the White House is putting forward. Does that scare you? Final thought. Very scary. And why does not she go back to her country to try to preach that? Because she came to this country running away from totalitarianism. She came to this country for freedom. Yep. And now, people like that, it is absolutely incomprehensible betraying the very country that accepted us just like our children, just like we were born here. Unlike unlike you, who's uh, thrilled to be here and happy to be in the best country in the world, she seems to feel just the opposite. Uh, And yet she's got a lot of power in the party, uh, unbelievably. So you, you have to hate America if you want to improve it. If you're proposing things to improve the country, to change the country a little bit, to evolve the country, that has to come from a place of hatred. You hate the country, and you're actually trying to make it worse. You're not trying to make it better. This is a news program, by the way, that gets treated favorably by the YouTube algorithm, whereas my show gets obliterated by the YouTube algorithm, and my show doesn't get spread to new people almost at all anymore. But this stuff does. Fox News stuff does. MSNBC stuff does, CNN stuff does. The thing you just heard, the idiotic back and forth you just heard, where they said, oh, Ilhan must hate America because she wants to marginally improve it, this is, that's favored by the YouTube algorithm and treated seriously. So let's go through some of what uh, they said there. By the way, this shows, they don't know anything about politics, these people. It's amazing. Even, even what Ilhan said. Ilhan was like, oh, so... Now Biden's proposing this, even though this was, this was left-wing proposals for a long time. Isn't it great that Biden's proposing these things? She says, free pre-K, tax the rich, paid family leave, school meals, so on, free school meals, so on and so forth. No, that's the virtue signaling bill. 
because they're not going to try to get this through reconciliation, and that's certainly not going to be in there if they do try to get through reconciliation. So that's Biden saying, I'm in favor of good things and against bad things. And then when it doesn't get in there, he'll go, oh, it's the big bad Republicans and Joe Manchin. They made it so we couldn't have those things. But no, he's proposing it as like pretending to be in favor of the amazing things, knowing it won't pass. If we had the votes right now for all those things, well, let me, let me amend that a little bit. If we had the votes right now for the free pre-K, paid family leave things, then he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't be saying he's in favor of it because he's not in favor of it. And he knows that if he could get it, he wouldn't push it. Now he knows he can't get it, so he's pushing it, pretending he's in favor of it. I think for tax the rich, he does want to raise taxes on the rich a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. And the free school meals he probably actually is in favor of. But a lot of the things on that list he's just pretending to be in favor of, and the left is falling for it. You know, It's like when Biden said he's in favor of the $15 minimum wage, and he could have taken the fight on to, of the eight Senate Democrats who were against it, but he didn't. He chose not to do it. And he chose not to do it because even though he believes in it, it's not, it wasn't enough to really fight for it. He did it. He believed in it enough to do the executive order for the federal workers, the uh, federal contract workers and, and federal government workers. Um, he believed in it enough to do it, and I give him massive credit for that. But he didn't believe in it enough to fight for it against the eight Democrats who were standing in the way at the federal level. So... They fought, like, they're suckers a little bit for the messaging of the bill. You know what I mean? Like, they actually think Biden really, what, is one of you guys? It's nonsense. Of course he's not. Um, so that's not even, it's not even true that Biden really is in line with these people. But the whole premise of the Fox segment is, ah, Biden's exactly like Ilhan Omar, see, far left, taking over the party. They know nothing about politics. Then we get into the bigotry. By the way, a guy in a really thick accent saying, why doesn't Ilhan go back to her country? My dude, you barely were able to get that out in coherent English. And you want to tell somebody else to go back to their country? And I love how he thinks like, oh, as long as you never criticize America, then America loves you and accepts you. Okay, well, I'm American. I was born here. My parents were born here. I'm as American as apple pie. And I much prefer Ilhan being here because she's trying to improve the country, whereas your position is this sycophantic bullshit of like, America never does any wrong, and if you ever criticize it, you hate it. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So I'm not supposed to call out the rampant corruption and the billionaires owning our system and corporations running our system. I'm not supposed to call out the endless wars. I'm not supposed to do any criticism at all because you equate that with hating America. I mean, it's just, it's, go back to your country. I could barely understand that in English, man. Could you repeat that? Go back to your country. I mean, that, listen, that is bigotry. That's what that is. That's what that is. You don't agree with her politics, and so you're like, oh, you're not American enough, so go back to your country. But I'm super American, even though I can barely speak English. I'm super American because I agree with Republicans on 100% of things. That doesn't make you more American. That makes you a simpleton. Um, and then we have... He says that she is betraying the country that accepted us. It's not betraying the country to try to improve it. Trying to improve it is helping the country and helping the people of the country. But the biggest thing I have issue with, he says, well, she came to the country for freedom, and now she's, like, destroying that freedom. The exact opposite is true. I would argue all of those policies she lists listed there are pro-freedom policies. Free pre-K, 
raising taxes on the wealthy to pay for programs that give people equal opportunity, paid family leave, and school meals. Are you ever really free if your absolute bare minimum needs aren't met? You're not. So you're born. What if your mom and your dad said, don't, don't feed the baby, don't put clothes on the baby, and go leave the baby in the woods? Is that freedom? Hey, you're free. You're not leeching off of anybody. You're not relying on anybody for anything. You're free, and uh, you'd be dead in a day. In order to be free, you need to have the bare minimum needs met. Let me say it another way. If, if life is a 100-yard dash, we're all sprinters, and life is a 100-yard dash, the only way you're able to even participate is if you're wearing clothes, hopefully some running type clothes, you have your running shoes, and you all line up and start on the line and get into your running posture. So that, those are the bare minimum needs that need to be met. You need to have a functioning body, you need to have food in you for fuel, you need to have clothes and your running sneakers, and you need to all line up on that line, and then you have the 100-yard dash. What these guys advocate for is, no, I don't want you to have the food. I don't want you to have the functioning body. I don't want you to um, have the running sneakers. I don't want you to all line up on the same line. I want some of you to have nothing, be naked with no running sneakers and no food, and I don't want you to line up on the same line. I want some people to start the 100-yard dash 70 yards down already, and some people to start 200 yards back, so now it's a 300-yard dash for some people. That's what they want. Whereas what Ilhan is calling for is free pre-K, taxing the wealthy to do redistributive policies to give people a chance in a real meritocracy, paid family leave and school meals. What she's advocating for is let's actually give people a chance. Let's give people a chance in the real world. That's what she's advocating for. Basic social democracy. And that also, my friends, is as American as apple pie. That's DR New Deal liberalism. Social democracy is New Deal politics. So that's American as apple pie. Now, yes, so is this guy's asshole right-wingery. Just made up that word. <laughs> that guy's ideology is also as American as apple pie. It's Reaganism, you know? Total free market laissez-faire capitalism, cut the social safety net, give the wealthy all the money. That's as American as apple pie too. But here's the reality of the situation. Ilhan's American. This guy is also American now. You know, I'm American. Brian Kilmeade is American. It's all American. You don't need to question. Hey, you don't need to say go back to your country or betraying the country or you're un-American because of these things. Put all that ad hominem garbage aside, and let's actually debate the merits of the issues. And when you do debate the merits of the issues, you're going to find very quickly what Ilhan is saying is 100% correct in that these policies are good policies. They're social democratic policies. They're New Deal policies. And they will give people more freedom in that they give people an actual shot to make it. So Fox News is the worst and the dumbest, but you already knew that. All right, y'all, final story of the day. Here we go.
Chucky Schumer did an interview. Oh, good. He spoke to that Anand guy. Um, so let me show you an interesting back and forth. Anand says, how would you rate Biden's first 100 days relative to Obama's, looking at the rescue plan versus the stimulus in 2009 and beyond? Um, Schumer says, well, look, I don't just blame Obama. I could blame all of us, everybody. The Democrats made two mistakes in 2009 and 2010. We let Republicans dilute the bills so that we stayed in recession for four or five years. And then there's an editor's note that said, technically, we were out of the recession quicker, but it was still slow growth. Job growth was much too slow. And then we let them negotiate for a year and a half on the Affordable Care Act, and then they pulled out of the negotiations. We got something good done in the ACA, but it wasn't close to enough. We're not going to make either of those mistakes. So this is what I find amazing. So he says this, right? He says this at the exact same time they are making the same mistakes. Listen, the $1.9 trillion COVID rescue plan, okay, happy it got through. It was definitely watered down. It was supposed to be $2,000 checks. It was $1,400 checks instead. There was supposed to be $15 minimum wage in it. It wasn't in there. Everything is temporary a one-shot of adrenaline, child tax credit, whatever, you name it, it's a one-shot of adrenaline. It is not, there's nothing recurring. So it's not building on a legacy like the New Deal, for example, or like Lyndon Johnson's War on Poverty. It's just a one-shot, okay? So that was the bill that everybody's really happy about and giving Biden credit for, and, oh, you went bigger and bolder than Obama. It's true, that is bigger and bolder than Obama, but that's not saying much. That's like being the tallest kid in kindergarten. That's not really impressive. So then, okay, what are, what are we on to next? We're on to taxes and infrastructure. If they don't do anything with the filibuster, or they don't give them, themselves more chances at reconciliation, none of this is going to get done. And so right now, nothing is getting done. There's no dialogue with the Republicans that's going to come to anything. So right now, we're just stonewalling, dragging our feet, letting the Republicans obstruct. Nothing's happening. And so you're doing the same thing that happened in 2009, 2010. But he has the nerve to go out there and say, we're not going to make those mistakes we actually are currently making right now. It's, it's unbelievable. So there's this new thing I, I realized recently. This is a new thing that the Democrats do. They'll say something, and it will just be so divorced from reality. It's a brazen lie like the Republicans do. But like, okay, another example. I just saw this the other day on Twitter. Joe Biden tweets, uh, healthcare should be healthcare is a human right, or healthcare should be a human right. It's not a privilege, it's a right. He's tweeting it. This is the same guy who implied that he would veto Medicare for all when he was directly asked. Homeboy, you can't no, you can't do that. You can't say I'd veto Medicare for all and then healthcare is a human right. The only way you get to healthcare being a human right is if you have a single payer Medicare for all system or some other universal system. He doesn't support any kind of universal health care. He even he ran on the public option and backed off of that and just did expanding the Affordable Care Act. Behind the scenes, apparently, he's even dragging his feet. He might not even support uh, lowering the Medicare rates to 55 or 60. So you can't say health care is a human right, and then you, your policies reflect the exact opposite belief. You can't do that. But that's the new democratic thing that you do. Oh, health care is a human right. You don't support Medicare for all. I don't, I'll still say that health care is a human right and then be in favor of whatever I want to be in favor of. I tweeted X, and that's what gets out there into the ether. And that's so people will like that. So in other words, 
there's the gaslighting and virtue signaling that is really in overdrive now where everybody who's a Democrat says the right things, but then in terms of how they act, it never matches the right things that they said. And now even Chuck Schumer's doing it. Oh, we're not going to make the mistakes of the Obama era that we are actually currently making right now as we speak. If you're not changing the number of reconciliations that you can do from whatever it is, two or three to ten or something, if you're not doing that, if you're not either abolishing the filibuster or reforming it back to the talking filibuster, then you are making the exact same mistakes. And you're going to water everything down massively, and then even then you probably won't get it passed. It's amazing. He's saying we're not going to do the thing that they are doing right now. I've never seen anything like it. There's the, there are two separate worlds, man. There's the Twitter world and the virtue signal world, and then there's the reality world. And the virtue signal world, all these politicians are on point. Biden's a firebrand progressive, and Schumer's out there crusading for the left. And then the real world, they're doing Dickie McGee's acts. It's not going to get any of their main priorities done. So... Man, it's frustrating because they should at least be honest about what they're really doing, but they're not. They'll pretend like they're crusading for the right things, and then they'll make the same mistakes as the Obama era. All right, y'all. We are done, baby. I love you. I'll talk to you all soon. Everybody have a great rest of the day. Peace. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.